Hello, and welcome to The Gaily Prophet, a humorous yet ruthless podcast where two queer nerds talk about media we love. I am Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Jesse Blount, and today we are talking about Encanto! Hooray! Woohoo! Which I feel like is probably a movie a lot of our listeners have seen because it is all about feelings. And, and magic. Magic. <laughs> <laughs> and magical feelings. I don't know. <laughs> True. And intergenerational trauma. <laughs> I've been asking on and or like saying on and off like since this movie came out that I wanted to do an episode about it. Um, this was a intense hyperfixation of mine for like at least one month. I was I watched this movie every day and listened to the soundtrack more times than that a day. So, um, this is a long time coming, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, it's been literally two years. <laughs> Wait, no. Yep. Because I'm like, yeah, no, we should totally do that. And we're just now getting to it, which is good. Well, the thing is that we were going to do it for Patreon, and we have a tendency to be like, let's do a thing for Patreon, and then be like, we literally have no time. When would we do that for Patreon? Which is why it's great that we now talk about whatever we want here, because... We don't have to save things up for two years. We can just talk about them. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. This movie, it's about... <clears throat> Encanto is about the Madrigals, a family who were granted magic through trauma. The family consists of Abuela, the matriarch and original recipient of the Encanto, who received it following the murder of her husband. She is the keeper of the literal flame, a magic candle that represents their powers. Her children are Julieta, who can cure any ailment by feeding people, Pepa, who controls the weather, and Bruno, a seer who disappeared ten years ago but has really been living in the walls this whole time. Pepa and her dreamboat short king husband, Felix, have three kids. (laughs) 21-year-old Dolores, who can hear literally everything, 15-year-old Camilo, who can shapeshift, and 5-year-old Antonio, who gets the gift of talking to animals at the start of the movie. Julieta and her disaster-prone himbo husband, Augustine, also have three kids. 21-year-old Isabella, who has the same powers as Poison Ivy, but when she does it, everyone loves it. 19-year-old Luisa, who has super strength, and our main character, Mirabel, who didn't get a power and is constantly shit on for it by Abuela. They all live together in a sentient house called Casita and are basically the leaders of their town. Mirabel realizes something is wrong with the magic and goes on a journey into everyone's trauma to try and discover the root. Of course, it all traces back to Abuela, whose husband was murdered while she and their newborn triplets watched. When Mirabel confronts her about the way Abuela is taking her undealt with trauma out on the rest of the family, the magic candle goes out and their magic house disintegrates. In the end, Abuela confronts her trauma and learns to rely on others via the town coming together to rebuild their home. Bruno comes home, and when Mirabel places the doorknob in their new house, the magic returns, revealing that her power is to become the next keeper of the magic and also to break the cycle of trauma. I'm not crying. You are. And today's headline, we have an exclusive tele-interview with clairvoyant witch Bruno Madrigal. Wait. I have just received a napkin full of arepas and a note that we don't talk about Bruno. (laughs) Very good. Um, And before we move on, two pieces of three, three, one, 
because we're now talking about things that we don't assume everyone has an intimate knowledge about, I will now be putting content warnings in the show notes. If you have things that you need to be alerted to, please just always check the show notes ahead of time. There will be timestamps and everything that you need to know there. Okay. Second, hopefully my audio is going to sound really great in this episode because I just got a new computer and that's because of you, our listeners, and especially those of you who support us on Patreon or are part of our sticker club or the other ways that you can financially support this podcast. Um... You all don't totally know this, but for the last like three months, every time we record, my computer fan has sounded like a jet plane. And then when I have to edit that out of the episode, it makes my audio sound weird. So hopefully this new super quiet computer that doesn't even have a fan is going to make it sound incredible. I'm so excited and so grateful to all of you. I'm I am also very excited, excited. I feel like cue whatever the actual name of the Beyonce song, which is like, you know, let you upgrade you. Anyway, that's what. And even better than all of that, it's black. I'm so excited. Yay! <laughs> now it matches everything else. <laughs> everything else that you own. <laughs> yeah. Finally, yeah, you too could support us by joining our Patreon or our sticker club or buying our merch or leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and you should, and you should also follow us on social media. And now we're going to enter the front page where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else. Um, I know this is a probably well-worn joke, but I just have to say once again that yes, this is a movie this is what happens when millennials are old enough to make Disney films. There, there aren't any real <laughs> villains. We just want our family members to apologize us for, for intergenerational trauma. Yep. It's perfect. It's yeah. just the best. <laughs> <laughs> so I would like to start off by talking about, you know, Disney movies. They're all kind of musicals. At least there's like, three to five songs per big Disney movie. Yeah. This is the first one that I've seen where I feel like you can see the potential for a stage adaptation. And I think that that's probably a lot because Lin-Manuel Miranda was part of writing it. But like, I don't know, he also was part of Moana and that one doesn't have the same thing. But like the the scenes, the musical numbers in this, like they're choreographed like you're watching a stage play and I yeah. really like it. I don't know. I think it's really cool. I The scene specifically that I think first made me think about it is the one in We Don't Talk About Bruno where they're like setting the table and they're like passing plates back and forth and stuff like that. And yeah. it very much is like watching a play, a even though you're yeah. watching a cartoon where anything could be happening, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it's real neat. That is really cool. I like Lily did not think about that, but it kind of makes sense considering there is really one main set piece, which is their house, their right. beautiful, magical house. So yeah, whoever's going to adapt this into the Encanto, the Broadway musical is not going to have to do that much work. It's I true. feel like <laughs> maybe Lynn was just planning ahead. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I'd see it. Um, my next point is just that, like, I actually have a lot of critiques about Disney as a company and their sort of overarching 
conservative whiteness bent of a lot of their media products. But I have to say, I am so happy for every Latino and Afro-Latino actor and character in this movie. For like all the people who watch Encanto and are like, oh my God, that is me and my family. And I'm like, I don't know. And like all of the like dark skin Afro-Latino, Afro-Latinx folks. And I'm just like, I'm so happy. It just makes me happy. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, the amount of care and research that went into making this, even, you know, I like read the Wikipedia and stuff about it and some interviews and stuff over the last few years and then again today. But even before doing that, just being, you know, eyeballs deep in Encanto TikTok, the number (laughs) of people who were like, noticing those things because it represented their lived experience who didn't have to like read an interview about all of the research to know that the representation was good and accurate yeah yeah is amazing yeah and especially like especially the care where it's like okay it isn't explicitly stated in the movie but like this is happening in like i don't know early 20th century colombia so a lot of the actors actually are colombian too Mm -hmm. yeah not just like pan south america actors we have like actors who actually are colombian which is excellent that's great and i'm so happy for them to get this disney money like hell yeah yeah it's yeah it's good i know it's so good (laughs) (laughs) um getting way sillier uh during the first song when you know, Mirabelle's been deflecting this whole time. The kids are like, what's your power? And she's like trying to leave. And then there's this band that's been like, you know, doing the music for her whole (laughs) big number. And they literally like throw an accordion at her and then all just like look at her like, "Ah, ah, 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 you're going to have to tell now. It's like, you guys are such assholes. (laughs) The looks on their faces are so rude. (laughs) Ah, oh, the opening never so good. <laughs> but yes, it really is. Uh, oh man. And as someone who hates talking about myself personally, what a uh, what a mood. <laughs> Let me tell you about something else cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I assume that you have this somewhere, but we get a surprise Doctor Who reference. <laughs> they do. <laughs> <laughs> Which when we see uh, Antonio's room, one of the kids is like, whoa, it's it's like paraphrasing. Whoa, it's bigger on the inside, which is. That's not paraphrasing. That's literally what they say. I can't remember exactly what he said. But uh, yes, for all the Whovians out there, uh, the doctor's uh, TARDIS is in fact bigger on the inside. So it's just really great for someone just to be like verbatim be like, this is for all you Doctor Who freaks. It's like, yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely like, oh, yeah, this movie was also created by nerds, which yeah. is lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so imagine you're someone who marries into this family and you're like, okay, I've moved into your sentient house And then you have to learn how to, like, shower and, like, go to the bathroom and have sex in a house that's, like, watching you all the time. You know, I 
I'm glad you brought this up because I was skimming through some additional trivia where one of the creators of Encanto was like, yeah, there's only one bathroom. We were going to have actually a big number in there, but we scrapped it. And I'm like, I'm sorry, there's 13 people in this house and only one (laughs) bathroom? What? No. But (laughs) you were right. You're right about the having sex thing. I'm just like, that, a little awkward. It sounds like not having sex in the house is what it's like. Cool. We'll get a blanket. We'll go up to the mountain, to the waterfall, whatever, the, the, the fancy <laughs> rainbow river for a few hours. We're having a picnic. It's great. Nothing to see here. Yeah. It's, yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, I guess if you grow up in the house, like, it it becomes normal to you. But literally, God, that would be so weird. I can't. I mean, you need to, need to be like, uh, don't. Don't follow. Don't look. Just have your conscience in another part of the house. Yeah. I mean, it does seem like Casita is, like, fairly respectful of people's desires. So maybe that's fair. Yeah. Um, okay. So when I first saw this movie, I'm like, cool. Everyone's cool magical powers. That's great. And then we get to the point where Antonio, where it's revealed what Antonio's power is. And the scream that I scrumped because I'm like, this little child is me because there is nothing I would have wanted more at five years old than the ability to fucking talk to animals. Are you kidding me? Honestly, I still want that. And I'm like, I was about to say at five. (laughs) Yeah, no, honestly, until if you're a character, I also would have been like losing my entire mind. If it's like, not only do you get like 13 cool animal friends and a fucking jaguar to ride. It's like, you can talk to them and they talk back. And I'm like, oh my God. And it, I mean, it makes me so happy for him. Cause like, honestly is like, is there a cuter character, like child character in this movie besides Antonio? But also I'm just like, you could talk to animals. I don't know. I just lost, I lost my entire shit. <laughs> yeah. So. I feel like all of, all of, his cousins and siblings at that moment were like i'm sorry that's not fair which is like as we'll talk about later in terms of family dynamics when you're five and everyone else is 15 and up you really get to do whatever the fuck you want so you get to have the power that like is more or less useless unless you want to become a vet but it's what you want to do and no one cares anymore (laughs) yeah it's like this is gonna make you the happiest person in this goddamn house and it does and i'm just like good yeah yeah someone deserves to be happy oh you want to go to art school that's fine (laughs) 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 um speaking of things that the house gives to five-year-olds can you imagine being five-year-old bruno and you get your door and you just open it and it's like a literal nightmare inside it's just stairs and sand did he have a bed like (laughs) this this, this honestly makes me so angry because i'm like bruno got like such a shit end of a like cool magical room what i'd be like what what is this bullshit are you kidding me I mean, being a seer should come with, like, a really neat goth room at the very scariest, not an endless expanse of sand and stairs. I know. I mean, no wonder he's like, it's cool living in the walls. I'm like, this is an upgrade from (laughs) his shitty magical room that's just like, like a tomb, essentially. Yep. 
Because when there aren't any, I mean, not that anyone has any goddamn windows, but I'm like, what? what is this? So. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Bruno was really quite due from the start to just have like the shit luck of everyone. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, I, in general, am like, I find it really refreshing for this Disney movie to be very family and feeling focused and not necessarily have any kind of romantic subplot or at least for our main character but i'm really glad dolores got a hot boyfriend like out of everyone's gifts she is like besides bruno probably the second shittiest gift and so i'm like i'm glad she's got like a hot dude that's great good for you (laughs) you deserve it yeah 100 percent. oh my god i have so many feelings about dolores's gift uh yeah but before we get into that kind of content i do want to speaking speaking of this actually leads perfectly into my last point because it's like dolores is a secret keeper you know she knows literally everything about everyone so the fact that she acts like she's incapable of keeping the secret about what mirabelle has done in finding the vision is so funny the fact that everyone is like oh yeah she's not going to be able to tell it's like no she just wants to ruin isabella's engagement because she's in love with her betrothed like this is totally a selfish act maybe dolores's first selfish act but like no she could keep that secret if she wanted to she doesn't (laughs) she she she's kept the beans about bruno since he fucking up and left yeah so yeah uh She's like, I would break this house before I would see Mariano (laughs) marry my fucking cousin. (laughs) And good for her, honestly. Honestly, good for her. And she's really doing Isabella a solid too. So true. It's it's really a win-win for the two of them. Just not for grandma. So whatever. Welcome to the style and fashion section where we talk about aesthetics. Is there a prettier Disney movie? Oh. Like Coco, Coco has some really good parts, but is also deeply sad about family trauma. <laughs> uh, and obviously there's a lot of classic Disney that just looks fucking beautiful, fucking gorgeous. Like some of the hand-drawn animation sometimes you really can't beat, but... This movie's so beautiful. Just hands down. Like, the house, the beautiful valley, everyone's outfits. Oh my god. Yeah, I mean, just all of the the details of the house and the embroidery on people's outfits and everything in this movie is constructed with so much care. And yeah, it's so, it's so detailed. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah, I was reading that like everyone's outfits has detailing that like fits to their their power or their character. And then Mirabelle's skirt has representations of each of her family members that are like not poorly embroidered, but very clearly um unskilled embroidered because she's supposed to have embroidered them herself on her skirt. Which just my whole heart. That's incredible. And yeah, I mean, looking at it up close, I mean, there's you there, you know, they quote unquote like virtually hand stitched all of the embroidery. So there's just everything just looks so 
details, you know? Yeah. Yeah, the details are, like, super vivid, and you're just like, I can't imagine how much time that took, even with using a computer to do that. <laughs> yeah, for real. I feel like one of my favorite details is uh, Bruno's, like, hooded poncho wrap. I'm not quite sure what to call his I think outer it's a poncho. Light. It's a poncho. Is apparently, like, a shade of green that Disney uses mainly so like something fades into the background of a scene hmm. <laughs> it has like a specific name i was looking at like trivia about this just so like you know bruno like fades more into the background as a character and i'm like such a good detail yeah that's incredible i know and hilariously i think the only character who like wears green out of the family yeah mirabelle's glasses are green i think that's maybe the only other one what color is julieta's dress it's like a aqua. Yeah. A blue green. Anyway. Also, some of the tile in the house, I'm just like, where can I, where can I buy that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so good. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Love a good tile. I want to take this section as an opportunity to, and maybe this has changed since last time I looked. I didn't check again. But the, you know, toys that are out as you know like the action figures whatever you want to call them um all of the isabella dolls are her in her purple outfit and that makes me like deeply upset because i think it's very clear at the end of the movie that isabella is happy when she's in her like neon paint splatter sort of pollen dress yeah um with like rainbow hair and like that is the liberated Isabella and I feel like that's what the toys should be it feels like a deep disservice to have her in her purple I actually I haven't I haven't checked I haven't listed any of the merch but that does seem pretty fucked up right poor Isabella disrespected even in the merch Welcome to the politics section, where we talk about trauma. (laughs) 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 Uh, Yes. The of this movie really is generational trauma, the movie. It is. How do you want to start this off? My notes are like all over the place. Would you like to go through sort of character by character and talk about their gifts and how those gifts represent sort of the different yeah. ways that family pressure and stuff can play out? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. My top note for this section is grandma ain't shit, <laughs> but also like war-torn refugee trauma. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> so I don't know if you want to start with her or start somewhere else. No, absolutely. We can start with Abuela. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, you don't really get very far into the movie to realize that uh, Abuela's like her, her unrecognized and undealt with trauma is putting so much pressure on the rest of the family and not just uh, Mirabelle. Even though Mirabelle, as the new convenient family scapegoat, for all of these issues is getting is bearing a lot of that brunt of that but it's like everyone else is bearing the brunt of that in different ways 
which yeah. is often how that goes in families that have generational trauma. Like not everyone in a family is going to have that play out in the same way, even with the same right. person. Right. And yeah, and it's sort of like, on one hand, it's like, okay, yeah, like you had to flee your home during a civil war and you saw your husband murdered in front of you while you have like literally three newborn babies. Like, that's some shit. That's some heavy shit. But then you, I mean, it's like she just internalizes that into like squeezing her family into this like picture perfect ideal of like this like magic family that's keeping the whole town together. Right. And it's like, yeah, it's not a healthy way of dealing with that. No. Yeah. I feel like my, my feelings have maybe changed a little bit with just hundreds of rewatches of this movie. But honestly, I like don't really think that Abuela should have been invited back. (laughs) (laughs) No, honestly, no. And I mean, I think part of that is because this is a Disney movie, but part of it is like, are you really going to change? Doubtful. Right, right. And right. It's It's a Disney movie. It's wish fulfillment. But like her coming back and even half acidly apologizing is the least realistic part of this movie. Truly. <laughs> she, I mean, yeah, she like finds Mirabelle trauma dumps on her and then is like, let's go home. <laughs> and then everyone's like, hooray, you're back. Yeah. And I kind of dream of a scene like, in season seven of Buffy, where Buffy's just being a fucking monster and everyone's like, you have to leave. She's like, I'm not going to stay here and watch Faith ruin everything or whatever. And then Dawn's just like, then you can't stay here. And I feel like that's what Abuela needed. You know, maybe she can come back eventually when she can apologize meaningfully and not for quote unquote holding on too tight, which is not the problem, in fact. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean... Exactly. Like, the biggest issue is her just, like, forcing everyone to be perfect, as if that's going to somehow heal her trauma, which it is not. And, like, as also just, like, this just terrible emotional pressure that you've put on your family. Along with what I'm pretty sure is being low to mid emotionally unavailable to them, (laughs) considering how some of how everyone acts. I'm like, hmm... That sounds a lot like things that happen when you have emotionally unavailable parents. So, yeah, I feel like Julieta is one of those people who sort of miraculously comes out fairly unscathed. And then you have Bruno and Pippa who both are like utter messes. And like Pippa is like more or less holding it together, but like by a fucking string. Like she is one bad day away from actually leaving i don't think she would move into the walls and i you know i feel like she's only as healthy as she is because she has an incredible support system in her husband and sister yeah but i mean even just like the animation of her like the fucking dark circles under her eyes you're like oh my god you are so mentally ill (laughs) like i see you (laughs) i mean i think sorry Sorry, who did you say the, the name of the older sister, the oldest triplet again? Julieta. I mean, I don't know 
I feel like Julieta is probably, I'm sure the person who played the sort of like oldest sister taking care of everything. So it's like, she has buried that shit real deep, you know? And like the fact that her ability is like healing people physically through food, you know, seems very much like older sister who's trying to hold shit together because mom isn't totally stepping up to do the parenting stuff. I agree. I just, by relatively unscathed, meant that she's like, doesn't seem to be taking it out on her own children. That's true. Like Abuela is taking it out on Julieta's children, but the way that we see her parenting, even just Mirabelle, like she's very open and warm and supportive and like listens in a way that's like, wow, well done. Like who knows how you ended up able to do this, but that's fucking incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? But good Good for her. Mm -hmm, For real. Yeah, I mean, oh, Pippa. Like, just the fact that her power is, her emotions are the weather, is just, it's like, it's like barely even a metaphor. I know. (laughs) For just sort of like the kind of toxic positivity the whole family has to engage in in order to make Abuela happy. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, and the fact that she's just, like, throughout the entire film just be like, I gotta calm down, I gotta keep it calm. It's like, no, you're fucking sad and you're fucking angry. Like, let that shit out. Like, you can't. Like, bottling that shit up is gonna make it worse. So much worse. Yep. Um, Yeah, and then obviously we have Bruno, who is our, like, black sheep or whatever, because he's, like, a truth speaker, which is the worst thing that you can be in a family like this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like he is—he is the black sheep and the sort of family scapegoat because, he, yeah, he like he sees the truth and he's not here to quietly pretend like nothing bad is happening or or does happen, and so that like that shatters the illusion. So he has right. to be silenced and and like made and like vilified as like this terrible evil like on purpose. And it's just like he's just like. I want to feel like he's just an awkward introverted gay. Like, chill, like everyone chill out. Right. <laughs> Bruno is such a tragic character. It's like, it's, it's like, cool. Yeah, I'm sure that he loves having all these visions of the bad things that are going to happen. I'm sure that's really great for his self-esteem and like mental health. But it's not about that. It's about how everyone, how he makes everyone else in the family feel. Yeah. And the fact that all he's doing People, everyone acts like he causes the things that he sees as opposed to him reflecting the things that he sees, you know? I know it's, he's predicting the future, whatever, but it's not, sorry, my brain is going so fast. I, and also in, we don't talk about Bruno, we learn that he give, he has given good prophecies he gave isabella a good prophecy her life is going to be exactly what she wants and i think that we have to use that to assume that that that's not the only good prophecy he has produced but the good ones get forgotten you know it's yeah and when the good things happen people don't credit that to bruno having made them happen it's just when the bad things that he predicts come to come to pass that people blame him 10 years later for his their fish dying you know right 
are like, right, or Pippa being like nervous and upset on her fucking wedding day, which I feel like, I mean, I guess not in the context of this movie, but I'm like, it's, it's pretty, I feel like there's like a, like a trope about people being like nervous and anxious on their wedding day, you know? So it's like, that wasn't yeah. really a prophecy. He's just like being like, I know that you're an anxious person and I'm trying to prepare, I'm trying to tell you that so you're prepared mentally for your, on this like special day. She's like, no, you've ruined it. I mean, and he says at the end that he was just messing with her, too. <laughs> he wasn't giving a prophecy. He just was, like, joking with his sister. He was like, hey, it looks like rain, and made her freak out. And that's not fair. I don't know. It's not fair. Also, pro tip, as from me to you, the listener, if you're getting married and you're nervous, take some valerian. I did. It was great. It was the best decision. One of my friends just came up to me and was like, here, take some valerian. And I was like, what a great idea. It just chills you out. It's just a nice soothing herb that just is like, oh, your nervous system, it's calmer. And then I was like present in a way that I didn't expect to be present for my wedding because there are a lot of people looking at me, which is not my best (laughs) self, you know? Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. And I actually kind of want to talk about i had this later but i think i want to talk about it here is the different ways that peppa and felix remember their wedding day yeah because she's like it was a disaster it was terrible there was like hurricane force winds whatever and he's just like literally his line in the song was what a joyous day but anyway um and he's just like he had a great time he was like so happy and he i mean again is like the perfect perfect person for her like she could not have found a better partner i don't know it just feels like it's about context yeah yeah where are you at and she was in being resentful toward bruno and so like for her it was bad and for felix it was just like yeah we're wet whatever we're getting married i'm in love it's great right we're having a big party it sounds great you know yeah yeah Talk about the kids then, since we're talking about everyone's powers. Yeah, let's do it. Can we talk about Louisa first? Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I'm like, I feel like so many people are going to relate to her song about just being like, I am shouldering so many things and I have no time for myself because I cannot ever, I am the, the pillar of support in this family slash relationship slash whatever. And I'm like, cool. So then my brain is like, thank you. I love it. Melty face emoji. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And just her being strong enough to like do all the things. And it's like, someone please give her a fucking break. Yeah. Oh my God. The way that I cried the first time I got to Louisa's song when watching this movie, I just like... (laughs) Yeah, I was, like, destroyed. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and it's interesting, because I kind of feel like her and Dolores have, like, the same gift, kind of, in terms of, like, shouldering everyone's stuff. And for Louisa, it plays out by, you know, being physically taking care of everything whereas Dolores has the job of being strong enough to like hold everyone else's life you know yeah she's the receptacle for 
ev- everything that anyone, whether they want to or not, you know, yeah. is is putting out there. I would have loved to have a song from Dolores. It's one of my... I know. Yeah, a few, few wishes that this movie had included. Yeah, I feel like their uh, ability seems somehow more... I don't want to say, like, pressing, but just because... I feel like the fact that their abilities are tied more, like, to, like, a physicality. Like, Luis is, like, super strong, and Dolores has this, like, amazing sensitive hearing... That I feel like, I don't know, it just it just seems like, since it's not a thing they, they can, like, turn off, it just feels like even more so than, like, a lot of the other families' powers, they're, like, always just on. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, that sounds so fucking exhausting. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the only missteps of the movie is that Louisa is supposed to be the middle child as opposed to the oldest child. Yeah, I know. She has such huge oldest sister shouldering everything energy. Yeah. Absolutely. I, it seems so obvious that, and even just in terms of not just her oldest child energy, but also the expectations that Isabella has taken on feel very middle child too, where, you know, Louisa has these like tangible expectations that have been made of her by her family and so Isabella is like growing up in Louisa's shadow in in the way that it should have been and trying yeah. to be like well how do I also be good enough right like I can't yeah. be her so I have to like be perfect in another way and right does that by like just being quote-unquote perfect right right um and just yeah just I feel like they only made Isabella older because she was supposed to be getting engaged is like the only reason but even if she had been 19 she could have been getting engaged it's the 50s or something yeah exactly i know Ugh, isabella's though like yeah just the pressure to like just be perfect which is like kind of interesting because i feel like maybe i shouldn't be surprised it seems like besides bruno the, like, male grandchildren seem to not have the same sort of pressure on them. And maybe just because we see a little bit less of... Oh my god, what is the... Camilo? Camilo. Um, maybe just because we see, like, less of him besides him just, like, being kind of, like, the jokester, I guess. But it's like, we don't... I feel like I get a sense in the movie that, like, his ability isn't necessarily, like a like, a burden to him. Like, he's not under maybe some kind of family pressures as, like... Isabella and Louisa and like Mirabel. I disagree because the okay. way that his his powers the way that he uses them is by turning into the people that he's interacting with. That's fair. He's I feel like just like super people pleaser to the point where he's I mean and literally like his name sounds like chameleon, his clothes are embroidered with chameleons like his whole thing is like blending into his surroundings and like making other people happy and doing service for other people by like turning into what they need in the moment in the form of a copy of themselves. Um, And I think you're right that he is sort of the one who's learned how to like manifest his issues by, by being, you know, the class clown or whatever. But 
I feel like the main moment where we really see it is at the end where they've lost their powers and he is helping to, I feel like they're like relaying the foundation and he like picks up a shovel and drops it. And the look on his face when he drops the shovel, like the fear of reprimand that you see on his face in that moment, you're like, oh, you are fucked up. I mean, I didn't say what, yeah, no, I mean... Everyone is fucked up, but no, you're right. That is such a, that's a really good observation of him just being like, blending right in, so to speak. I mean, hello, whatever, you know. I do think that Antonio gets off really easy because he's so much younger than everyone else, you know? And yeah, yeah, like we were saying earlier, he is definitely, it's like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) You know, the true youngest child thing where it's like your older siblings got all of the responsibilities and now you get to just like do whatever the fuck you want curfew no like you're just yeah who cares you just live your life have right. have your magic animal powers have a great time yeah yeah have 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 a literal like exotic petting zoo in your room like whatever. Yeah. so yeah. but i i think what i love for antonio is that he's also free to be able to like align himself with maribel and bruno because he like I don't know if he doesn't have any stakes in the game, but like he he has this power that really isn't useful to the family necessarily, like everyone else does. So like he's sort he is sort of free to like follow his dreams. But like for him to still be like, you know, I am part of this family, but like he's young enough to be like, I don't know what this other bullshit is, but I know that my the rats told me that my uncle's living in the walls, so like she probably did something about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And right, and he is he's so little. He he hasn't had the opportunity. he just got his gift. Like the the pressures have barely even started for him. At this yeah. point, it's mostly just observational, you know, what he's absorbing through how his older siblings and cousins are treated. But yeah, and he has, you know, the deep well of empathy that five-year-olds have without knowing that that's what it is and yeah yeah he's just such a good little baby i just love him so much i know i mean and i think part of that is also i feel like really the upside of his relationship with uh maribel who still has this like sunny outlook and this sort of like deep well of empathy besides being treated like shit by the rest of the family and since Antonio seems to be, like, the closest to her, since she's, like, sort of kind of the closest in age, even though she's, like, 15 or 16, or I guess I don't remember. I think her and Camilo are the same age. Okay. It's like a teenager. And they seem super close, and she seems like an excellent influence on him, you know, as, yeah. a, per- as a person. Yeah. I mean, right, they've been sharing a room for the last five years, so they're definitely... Because for some reason, when she didn't get her door, she also didn't get her own bedroom. That's so rude. I have a whole thing about that in editorials because I'm so pissed about that. Oh, my God. Um, But, yeah. Did we cover everyone? I think so. Besides everyone's dads who were just there to be supportive. Yeah. Such good dads in this movie. Love a good dad movie. We got I know. three alive moms and two present and good dads. Unheard of in a Disney movie. <laughs> it, it is truly, it is truly refreshing. 
Um, and this, yeah, like just to have this about like family issues is just so like interesting because you can just you can do so much. And then having this sort of like magical realism of, of everyone having these powers that sort of reflect, you know, I mean, obviously, like, I think a very thinly veiled metaphor about what kind of what kind of person going through trauma can make you and what kind of gifts, quote unquote, can come out of that. Right. And yeah, it's just really great. This is just such a good movie for talking about this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Welcome to Editorials, where we rant about stuff. Let's start with something fun. Give us something fun, Jesse. I have something fun. Um, I love a story about someone who isn't the chosen one, um, which is funny for everyone listening to know how much chosen one media we, we talk about. <laughs> yeah. But because there is so much, especially in like Western media, about like the one person to do the thing, um, because there's so much of that and we're so saturated by it, I find it more fascinating to have stories about like okay well what about the person who's not chosen and so we have maribel being like the one person who quote-unquote doesn't have a magical gift in a family of people who have like these extraordinary gifts and so her journey to sort of not only uncover what's going on but sort of find what is magical about herself that is not necessarily validated by her family or at first glance like what she thinks it is is just beautiful i love it you know more media about people who aren't chosen to have powers or a quest or whatever the fuck here for that yep yeah i agree yeah so my first note is uh what we had touched on earlier that you also were very excited to talk about about Casita not giving Mirabel her own room. So let's talk about Oh that. my god, give her a, <laughs> like okay, give her a real goddamn room. She is sharing this like nursery room with five year old Antonio, who is is cute. He's adorable, let's be real. But I'm like, you this big ass magical house, they could not the house we we could not get her a like a room for her to be in to have like her like interest and like have all this stuff that's like just for her not like what is clearly the like resting stop before you get your gift when you're five years old like that's some bullshit that's such bullshit yeah yeah i mean i presumably her mom and an uncle and then all of her siblings and cousins all lived in that room before her i guess she would have shared it with some of them for a while yeah at least with Camilo until he turned five. Yeah. But it's, you know, like the, the stuff on the walls, it's very clear that, you know, lots of children have passed through this room. It's very much not her space. Yeah. And the idea of her being 10 years old when Antonio was born and suddenly having to share a room with a fucking baby. <laughs> just... It is just, it's so, oh, it's, it's just so, it's so shitty. It's like, wow, what a, like, uh, physical manifestation of how much y'all just don't prioritize or care about Maribel's, like, well-being. Yeah. Yeah. Also, just want to say really quick, Peppa, like, really 
ahead of her time in having a baby at 45. Like, that was unheard of back then. <laughs> I feel like that was unheard of 10 years ago. Um, so really proud of her for that. Yeah. <laughs> that definitely has the making of a, like, oops, having a baby. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of people that I'm happy for... Uh, the actress that plays Maribel, Stephanie Beatrice, I am so happy for her because her biggest role previous to this, I mean, honestly, is an excellent role. She's like playing a like tough bisexual cop on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is an excellent comedy, but it is unfortunately about cops, which is unfortunate because of ACAB. Um, and I'm happy that she went from that to like being the lead in a Disney movie. Like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. you know i'm just so happy for her and like she's in like in the heights because her and lin-manuel like met an episode of brooklyn 99 or something so i'm just like good for her she's really like kind of the breakout star of people who weren't already famous before that show and i'm just like so happy for her so i'm just like hell yeah mm-hmm. um yeah speaking of of actors in this movie the person who voices louisa hadn't really been in a lot of things previous to this movie. And I just want to share this story, which, you know, you can tell, and I think this might lead into a point that you have here too. Uh, you know, Louisa has a, has a gay voice. And so you're like, yeah, this is probably a gay actor. And when I went to IMDb to look up who voiced Louisa in 2021, it was like, bare bones you know like the least possible stuff you can have on an imdb so her bio was just like she lives in an apartment in new york with her cat named giles and i was like she is gay <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> i mean i feel like without being explicit that is the best way to signal that you are gay <laughs> it really is it really truly is um and now it is like on her she's talked about it and it's like on her wikipedia page and stuff because she has a wikipedia page now which she didn't before so i'm so happy for her yeah Yeah. louise is so queer coded and makes me so happy yeah i remember when this movie came out so many tiktoks of people being like louise (laughs) i'm like yep that is the correct response from queer people who are into ladies is like yes 110 percent I also feel like, though, on rewatch, watching this movie, I'm also like, Isabella, queer-coded, also. And, and maybe it's because she's just like, I don't care about this dude. But I'm also just kind of like, she just she wants to just hang out and be, like, an artist and, like, just vibe. I don't know. Let her do that. I know a lot of people on TikTok were claiming her for the asexual community. And there's, y'all, I am so sorry that I didn't make like a bookmark folder of all of the TikToks back when they were all happening. There's no way I will be able to find all of them. But there's this whole thing, this whole like TikTok theory about how all purple characters are asexual and it's very (laughs) strongly backed up. And so that's part of it. (laughs) I love, I love that. I'm here for that. 110%. Yeah, no, I can definitely see that. So I'm just like, yeah, I mean, yeah, let's, Isabella's ace. Great. Love it. Mm-hmm. She just wants to grow cactuses. Sounds awesome. <laughs> and carnivorous plants. I want that for her. I also want that 
right. And just be covered in pollen and just be like, I don't give a fuck about y'all. Yeah. Uh, I want that for her. Yeah. And I mean, I don't necessarily think that Bruno is queer coded, but I just feel like there's still a part of me that there are so many John Leguizamo 90s roles were just felt very queer to me as watching them yeah. both as a kid and revisiting any of them as an adult where I'm just like, I mean, Bruno's queer, whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, and I agree. I think, I think that's very, you know, if we're, if we're reading this movie, sort of what would this movie be without the whole mystical abilities part? I feel like Bruno very much is, you know, the queer goth kid who you know, is driven away from his family yeah. for not conforming. You know, he's not going to make more babies to like bring to the Encanto. He's not going to, he's not serving his purpose. So, yeah. and I do feel like reproduction is sort of a heavy, heavy expectation of, um, abuelas. So. Right. Yeah. And the fact that Isabella is seemingly just like uninterested in that too. I'm just like, Yep, that's a queer vibe. (laughs) So, and I just feel like, I think it's also just a queer vibe to like have a lot of these characters be like, something about me is deeply disappointing to my family and like how they deal with it. Right. You know, Isabella is just trying to shove all those feelings and anything that's not quote unquote perfect, like not express any of that. And Louisa's trying to like, if I'm, if I'm being useful, then I count as a person, which I'm like, wow, what a mood. Ouch. Mm, didn't yep. need that today. <laughs> I really didn't need that today. That is some people pleasing bullshit that I'm in a lot of therapy for. Uh, and then, yeah. And then like Bruno, who is just like bringing all this shame onto the family, no matter, it seems like no matter what he does, you know, it seems like his very existence is just like bringing shame on the family. It's just yeah. like, he's just like a weird introvert. It's okay. Man. Yeah. So love that for all of our uh, any queer fans of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. All right. So I have like a heart wrenching oh, no. rant, I guess. That's okay. I, I have tissues right by my computer, so I'm ready. perfect. I, so at the beginning of this, Antonio is nervous because he's getting his his door right. He's getting his gift that day, and like Mirabelle's didn't work, and maybe his won't work. Um, and so she's made him this like stuffed Jaguar toy Mm -hmm. and then he gets his gift and he gets a real fucking Jaguar. He sure does. Can't imagine a worse feeling for Mirabelle in that moment. Like a more, I have nothing to offer feeling in that moment. But the fact that later in the movie, it's revealed that he's been carrying it around with him and he offers it to Bruno for emotional support. Oh my God, that part made me cry. I think I'm not going to start crying right now. Yeah, it's just, yeah. Because like, right, it's like you can feel just like in your body how crushing that would be for Mirabelle to be like, I literally cannot compete with this. Mm -hmm. What the fuck? But then like, right, and Antonio clearly has like, you know, he still cherishes it, even though he has a literal actual Jaguar. He's been like riding around the whole, the, the entirety of the movie up until this point. And he like gives it to Bruno because Bruno's like, I don't know if I can do this. He's like, here. And I'm like, oh my God. It's, oh, it's so, it's so sweet. It's just like, oh, it's crushing. 
Oh my god. Oh, and <laughs> listeners, the tissues have been brought out. The tissues have been brought out. Oh my god. It... This movie hurts so good. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and it's like up until this point, I don't know if there's anyone else in the family that would have been like, Maribel made me a thing and I still cherish it, you know? And that's yeah. just so, cru- it's just, uh, it's just is like crushing. Yep. Uh, I feel like that leads me to like maybe my last rant, which I guess we really haven't touched upon yet, which is funny, is that I want to start off by saying that obviously like nothing that Maribel could have done or not done warrants this kind of treatment like from her family like she's a child like that mm-hmm. is not that is not okay it's not okay to treat people like that but definitely not children under your care but like what is even worse about the way that like abrela treats maribel is that she didn't do any of this shit with the house cracking this shit was already happening and like honestly maybe even before she was born but like all of a sudden because she's like uncovering the like secret of well, why is the house breaking that's fucking weird we don't want that that's literally the seat of our it's literally our home you know right and like the sort of foundation of our gifts um and so for her to be blamed for like the house cracking apart when it's like i mean obviously a metaphor for what undealt with trauma does to you to does to a foundation of a family yeah <laughs> shocker destroys it by the way but for like her for like maribel to be blamed for something that's, like, been happening. And that, like, even if Mirabel didn't talk about it, didn't uncover anything, would have still happened. Right. It's just... I, like, don't even have words for, like, how upset it makes me. Yeah. You know? So. And, like, because this is a movie, there's clearly a reason why, like, she doesn't have a, like, quote-unquote gift. Even though, like, she does. It's clearly being empathetic and, like, mending people's trauma. <laughs> And mending the house, essentially. I think that her her gift, the reason she doesn't get a specific gift, is because she's Abuela's successor. You know, someone has to be the one who tends the candle. And that's, I mean, A, been confirmed by, like, the creators on Twitter. But B, is also really clearly indicated in the fact that Abuela and Mirabel are the only people who talk to Casita. That's true. And it's like, Abuela's fucking old at this point. She's got, I mean, she's got to be at least, I don't know, 80? We don't know how old she was when she had her kids, but her kids are 50. So she's going to die, not in too long. And like, there has to be someone to take that leadership role. And if Mirabelle's working with a different gift, then they're, you know, who is there to like take up that place in the house which also is confirmed when like she gets the her her door handle at the end of the movie it's the the front door you know yeah as it should be (laughs) yeah honestly um something and i don't know if i'm remembering this exactly right because again it's been i don't know three years since i uh saw the tiktok that i learned this from but someone was talking about some of the translations between the Spanish version of the movie and the English version of the movie that were Mm. really interesting. Mm -hmm. And one of them was that in the end song, when they, you know, they're like, 
we just need one more thing. We need a doorknob. In the English version, Antonio gives it to her and he says, we made this one for you. And if I'm remembering correctly, in the Spanish version, it's this was waiting here for you, which I think and what the person in the TikTok was saying is like, that's so much more powerful and also completely different. Yeah. One of those is like, this is your magic. Like this was here for you. Mm -hmm. And in terms of being clear about what Mirabelle's gift is, that one is like much, much clearer, you know? Yeah. And dare I say much more narratively satisfying. Mm Mm-hmm. To be like, you've had a gift all along. Right. You know? So. Exactly. Which is great, because I just want Mirabelle to be happy. And to be yeah. like, you deserve all the thanks. Yeah. Um, I'm going to close us out with my, <laughs> my biggest pet peeve about this movie. Okay, I'm listening. Okay, so when she goes in Bruno's room, and she's getting to the vision cave, you know, the like bridge or whatever is gone. And so she has to do this incredibly dangerous rope swinging across to to get there, right? But the rope is is gone, uh, and like the thing has widened even uh, since she went in there. And we're never told how she gets back. Oh shit, you're right. And it makes me really mad because <laughs> she comes out of that door in like a a wave of sand, and I think it would have been very satisfying and easy to have that wave of sand with Mirabelle in it bridge the chasm and land her on the other side. But it doesn't. And then it's just like, she's out of the room now. And you're like, but how did she get out of the room? You know, honestly, I was, when I first saw this, I was waiting for the sand to either like right bridge her across or for her to like, sort of like have like a giant waterfall of sand that like brings her back down to like the ground the ground level to the door but they make it so clear because she she lands next to the chasm and is like fuck and she's still on the same side as the door so then it's just like yeah what happened how did she get back we'll never know we'll never know Welcome to the health and science section where we research stuff and talk about magic and I don't know, whatever happens here happens. Do you mean to start or you want to start? Yeah, go for it. All right. So first off, so apparently, apparently John Legozamo ad-libbed the bit about what the rat telenova was about and they just like, that sounds great. We're going to throw it in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great because now we can finally talk about some of the best TikToks I've ever seen in my life. Because, oh my God, why did I should have pulled this up? Why do I don't remember her username? I think it's Nikki Marina, and I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, pretty, I think, probably famous TikToker. She does a lot of Marvel content stuff, which is, I think, what she's like the most famous for. But she did a really excellent series of. Encanto videos. One about like generational trauma and like viewing this as someone who is Afro-Latina. And I'm just like, this is great. But more importantly, she created a series of videos where it's Dolores listening to Bruno's uh, rat 
<laughs> rat telenova and being like really infested and each video starts off with like another like very hilariously mean dig from abuelo to maribel about how much she just despises maribel <laughs> and that we'll, we'll have a look at that in the show notes because it is deeply funny yeah i listeners you should absolutely just watch all of them i have got watched like every single Encanto TikTok that she has made. And I think that there she has a playlist which is helpful. Yeah, she's a playlist of like the serious stuff and then she's a playlist that's just the rat telenova. Um there's twelve of them. I think it'll probably take you like eight minutes to watch. It is deeply funny. They're so good. She's just so talented. I can't wait for her to be like for real famous and not just TikTok famous. Yeah. She's got some good Harry Potter stuff too. She has some she has some very excellent Harry Potter stuff. Yeah, and I really appreciate it. I think she might be one of the only TikTok creators who makes Harry Potter content who puts a like trans rights gif in every single one of her TikToks. And like that's on our guide of like ways to to be a conscious creator. And I I got the idea from her TikToks because it's like what a great way for someone to know that you are a aware of everything that is going on with that and b have a stance and like are engaging ethically and intentionally and i don't know i just think it's fucking brilliant and i appreciate it a lot so yeah no she's she's great she's definitely like one of my favorite tiktok creators because yeah. yeah same chef cooks um I want to talk about, I don't know how to say his last name. I want to just refer to him as Wash from Firefly. Alan Turdick. Turdick? Sure. Sure. Yeah. I don't think there's an R in it. I don't know. Mm. T-U-D-Y-K. If there's an animal companion in a Disney movie, he voices it. That's just, that's what he, like, full stop. He's the chicken in Moana. He's all over the place. Anyway, um huge voice actor he's like a third of the people in the poison ivy cartoon <laughs> yeah he's like his like post joss whedon career is like i think almost been exclusively voice acting <laughs> yeah um and apparently you know th- there is no animal companion besides like antonio's jaguar in this movie but they wrote this toucan that goes with Mirabelle into Bruno's room into the movie because he's like Disney's good luck charm and they like ha- they just make roles for him because it's like considered to be bad luck to not have him do a goofy animal in all of their movies. Wow, man, that is deeply funny. <laughs> also like, man, what a gig to be like collecting those <laughs> Disney royalty checks. <laughs> For like 12 seconds of doing two noises. <laughs> I read that apparently he came in and was like, the two can noises that you've been using as like a substitute while I wasn't here are actually parrot noises. This is what a two can sounds like. Incredible! <laughs> what a nerd! That's the kind of shit I would walk in and say and be like, do you know you're using the incorrect bird sound? Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I was actually going to like write a list out of all of the animals we see in the movie, and then I forgot to do that. Oh, I didn't write any down because I was like, that's Jesse's job. <laughs> yeah, I 
I was doing a lot of different research and I'm like, didn't I like put a note? But like, yeah. So Time. unfortunately, we'll not have that discussion. No, but we should at least mention the copybear. Yes, the like, <laughs> don't give a fuck copybear in when Bruno and <laughs> Marabella are in Antonio's room. In Antonio's room. And it's just like, Right, Bruno's making like a sand circle and a cup of bear is like, you can go around me. And so he does. And it just like is sitting there the entire time while they're like having this like epic swirly like tornado of a vision. Yeah, and like all the animals are being flung away but the capybara is just like chilling. Which I feel like <laughs> having seen so many videos of capybaras just chilling with all manner of animals even if they would potentially eat them is like that is probably a very realistic capybara trait yeah yeah also there are some tapirs which are always very cute the little prehensile nose i could not figure out what those like lemur looking things were because i didn't think we had lemurs in south america but that was the only thing i meant to look up and did not unfortunately that's all right yeah but yeah uh antonio has the best friends also some rats <laughs> so many rats so many rats <laughs> Very, very, very cute rats. Which are on every continent except Antarctica. So, just so you know. Because of human travel, essentially. The, the last thing that I have on here is um, a thing that I saw a lot of people being really, really stoked about on the TikToks. And I think even in some of the articles I read when this first came out which is that when they're under the bed and Mirabelle is like giving Anto- <laughs> giving Antonio his present when she like reminds him to, that it's there's like gesturing for him to open it she like points at it with her mouth yeah and like the number of people that i saw just being like so excited by that like tiny little gesture makes me feel like we should call attention to it from what i saw it seems to be something that is like because there are a lot of indigenous north american folks who are also really excited about it so like i don't think it's like specifically just south america or like especially not just specifically colombia but like across like the americas this is something that has existed for a very long time and that is really, I think, very culturally specific and meant so much to so many people to have in this movie. Yeah, and I mean, those are the kind of details where it's like, you can really only get if you have media created by the people who are like, we're going to make this movie about us Colombian family, written by a lot of Colombians and Latino people. Right. And that's why, I mean, it's, it's it's important, but it's just really great because it's just like, this is why representation isn't just who's in front of the camera, but who is behind the camera and behind the scenes. Right. Um, because we really just need more people that aren't just mediocre white dudes creating and writing media, yep. honestly. Speaking of which, so this movie is either a little bit inspired by, or at least definitely referencing probably like the biggest Latin American novel that a lot of people in the U.S. slash the Western world might know about, which is the novel 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, who also, it's like Western literary canon had to like, they invented magical realism to describe what he is doing in his books, which is, I mean, 
I think, a literary tradition that is just not necessarily part of, like, white Western canon, which is, like, you have a magical element in what is otherwise a very, like, not magical or, like, not fantasy-based story, even though I feel like that definition is still very, like, wibbly-wobbly about, like, what that even means and, like, what even is fantasy versus, like, a not-fantasy text. Anyway, but from what I can sense, because it's been a really long time since I read that novel, is that (laughs) Encanto is sort of, like, the, like, children's version, (laughs) a little bit of that book, which is also about a, like, a patriarch this time who is like in Colombia and sort of dreams up a like utopia, like a, a, like a sort of isolated utopia for like his family and uh fucked up shit happens, but also magical things happen. Right. We did it. We did it. Good for us. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of The Gaily Prophet. Next time, we will be talking about book one of the His Dark Materials series, The Golden Compass, or Northern Lights, depending on where you live. And which edition you have, but yes. Yes. Um, It's going to be great. And also a long time coming thing that we've talked about doing on Patreon for literal years, so... Just knocking them, knocking them out of the park. Uh, remember to check the show notes for all the things. And until next time, give Mirabelle a hug. <laughs>